0: If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy. And I'm Alex. And uh, it's good to be back. Uh, bit of a break over the holidays. yeah. Did you guys have a a good time? No, not really. eh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the hospital. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Sometimes trouble falls during uh, the sacred seasons, but uh, yeah. It was still good. Yeah, of course. It was
1: nice to get together with uh, West Mountain Hill City. We did a joint Christmas Eve service. It's always a highlight, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, good attendance to that. Man, that verse you read though, well I mean, we'll get into it, but that is the life verse for the administrative state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one verse in the Bible they know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh this
0: that that seems reasonable. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. we we'll just so that. we just need to keep hiring more officials and things will get better. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well before yeah. <laughs> before we forget we want uh we want to let all of our listeners know that we have our first hopefully our first of many conferences coming up this February 8th to 10th in Peterborough, Ontario. And our uh theme is a call to build. We want to put forward a positive vision for the Christian life, building Christians, families, churches, schools, businesses, you know, institutions to God's mm-hmm. glory and that reflect his son the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, this is not just for dudes, so this is not, you know, There's there may be camo there, but... Um, but that'll
0: just make it seem like there's less people. Yeah, exactly. Because we won't be able to see them.
1: <laughs> but but we would encourage people, bring your wife. If you want to bring your kids, and uh, we don't have childcare, but you're obviously more than welcome to bring the family. It'd We've got a
0: great information for kids to take in if, uh, if yeah.
1: they would so choose. Absolutely. We're going to bring some of the students from KCCS. Nice. And we've got not only a great lineup in the plenary sessions, we have Pastor Nate Wright coming and we've got Pastor Jacob Rayome and Pastor Aaron Rock and um, Ben will be speaking as well. But in our, Jonathan Wellum, coming? Yeah, in our breakouts, we've got Jonathan Wellum. Yeah. If you guys
0: haven't uh, listened to our Jonathan Wellum episode, go back and do that. We should have him on again soon. Yeah, we
1: should. Yeah, I we think, should. I think we're due. So he's going to do one on economics and building and uh, our brother, Pastor... Uh, Josh from Trinity um, Baptist is going to be doing one on evangelism. And my wife is going to be doing one on um, building in the home for Mm -hmm. women. And a member of our church, Bailey, is going to be doing one building through brokenness. And um, who else? Jacob. Jacob Leeming is going to be doing kind of a biography of King Alfred. Oh, wow. Yeah. So King Alfred was, he was a builder.
0: And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He's the first person in sort of the Western tradition to re-implement or implement the Ten Commandments as the basis for our law code. I don't was
1: know it, if he. I don't know if he was the first one. He definitely did that. And, I mean, yeah. And the law, the legal reforms, was a huge part of his legacy. Hmm. And and was so it many eight
0: hundreds, nine hundreds, somewhere around there.
1: I don't know exactly when he
0: fought off a lot of the, the Vikings. The Vikings. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah,
0: we or or sorry, he evangelized them and converted them to Christianity.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when, that too. When you're being attacked, just uh, just get them converted and uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of both. But anyways, yeah. that's going down February 8th to 10th. We'll put a link in the description. Is that a Thursday to Saturday? That's a Thursday night. We open things up uh, all day Friday and a Saturday morning. And uh, we'll close up by lunch. You can get home for people from
0: out of town. We've got. Uh, do we have blocks of rooms?
1: We did have a block of rooms. I Are think they sold we, out now. I think they closed those on Monday, but you should still be able to find a place if the hockey teams haven't taken yeah, them. Yeah, it's
0: it's Peterborough. It's the Peterborough. hockey stuff's in January, isn't it? Yeah, this should be all done the hockey by then. Yeah, hopefully. Anyway, or or we could find you a basement uh, mattress to sleep on somewhere. I'm sure there's a there's a there'll
1: be no room in the inn, but we'll find a barn. <laughs> there's a
0: lot of caves around here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, shout out
0: to our sponsors, unofficial sponsors, Goertz Classical Christian School. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, semester's going well. It is going well. Good.
1: Yeah, thankful for the work that they do. If you're in, interested in more information, quorthyclasical dot com. See what we're about. See if we could help you and your family.
0: Yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I know there's a uh, another family, at Westmount's going to be um, reaching out and Great. and hopefully meeting with uh, Principal Auger soon. So. Mm-hmm. Um, don't hesitate. We've got time to give you the tour and tell you what we're all about in person, too.
1: A.K.A. The Augustine. That St. Augustine. The Augustine.
0: <laughs> he is a saint. I mean, we're all saints, right? Yeah. According to the New Testament. But there's levels. And he's, well,
1: he's, he's, he's definitely, he's upper tier.
0: <laughs> he's got the second blessing. <laughs> 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 he's a super Christian. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, of course, uh, we're always grateful for Tristan and uh, Upper 40 Studio here, the the folklorist, for lending us his space.
1: Yeah, check out Folklorist Music on YouTube. He dropped a video in the last couple of weeks, um, a song that he wrote, some original music and a video for that. He's
0: been putting out a lot of stuff
1: lately. Yeah, he's been yeah. hammering away at that, so. Yeah, give it a
0: listen and uh, stick it in your playlist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's. Uh, that
1: sounded like a threat.
0: Yeah, it's in your playlist. But we're not doing any more podcasts.
1: <laughs> Whatever gets the views, man. <laughs> By the way,
0: uh, we are we are going to attempt to be a little more regimented with the podcast mm-hmm. this uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fall was a bit of a gong show, as they say, a dog and pony show, even yeah. perhaps. So we want to be a little a little more regimented with that and give you guys uh, plenty of content. Yeah but let's get let's get back to this uh this uh topic mm-hmm. um, I read from Ecclesiastes chapter five eight mm-hmm. and nine uh and that's a really good summation of kind of where we find ourselves with yeah. the bureaucrats in Canada yeah um I was talking to my apprentice today we dr- we always have great talks when we drive around and we were playing this uh, we were playing this mind exercise where it's like if you got to be you know the ruler of Ontario what was what would be the one thing you would implement and I you know I thought about it, and my answer was you know we got to fire at least 75 percent of the public servants, yeah, and everything else will just take care of itself
1: <laughs> yeah well there's there's so many problems on so many levels like people know well actually I don't know how many Canadians know, but in case you don't know, um, we live in an administrative state, and we are uh the bureaucracy. Of the government. This is to say nothing of the institutions. Yeah. But the the but the bureaucracy of our government is absolutely massive. Do you know what the percentage is of people, of Canadians who work for the government? I don't know the percentage, but when when Jonathan Wellen was on, he gave a number about the percentage of the GDP that goes towards the government. Yeah. And it's something like 50% of the GDP goes towards the government. Like just supporting, just supporting. Yeah, like we we had we had like three hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred and something thousand federal employees. Like the federal government's the greatest employer. Three
0: hundred thousand federal employees.
1: Yeah, the federal government's the biggest employer in Canada. And that's not that's not provincial. That's not municipal. If we had
0: say three hundred or thirty million people in Canada, and maybe a third of those were part of the workforce. Mm-hmm. That's that's three percent of of the population working just for the federal government. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure it's way higher than that once you count count uh, the provincial stuff and all of the the city city bureaucrats and whatnot. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, I want to get off on of a the sidetrack there.
1: Oh, as of the twelfth of January, twenty twenty four, federal employment in Canada is estimated at around four hundred and fifty seven thousand people.
0: Wow. Half a million people work for the for the, the federal government.
1: The federal government. So when you think that, like for example, I think the last election, the margin of victory was two hundred and something thousand. There's literally more people working for the feds than there is a margin of victory between the the winner and the loser in the last election.
0: And just to just to make this clear, so. You, you always need some people to do administrative work there's no yeah. there's no question about that mm-hmm. right and we're not arguing for zero federal employees but every one of those federal employees is generating zero wealth-hmm right you, you when you work for the federal government or the provincial government you're not generating wealth you're no. you're co-opting wealth generated by other people and dispersing it yeah uh, and so this could I mean this is one of the main reasons we've got such a, a you know, economic crisis mm-hmm. is because there's so many people involved in work that doesn't actually generate anything useful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a crisis on multiple levels. I mean, obviously there's a financial element to this whereby um, the cost of the government is absolutely enormous. Um, but I want to talk more about the nature of leadership and how the administrative state is, um, a structure of governing that is fundamentally built upon unbelief, which is which is to say, you know, nope. which is to say if you put it positively, if we lived in a Christian culture, um, we would not have an administrative state. So it's a symptom of unbelief, yeah. it's, and and you see that in Ecclesiastes, right? Where wickedness reigns, where justice and righteousness are perverted, when the poor are oppressed, what is something you see happening in places like that? Well, there's a leader, there's a manager on top of a manager on top of a manager on top of a manager, and what's happening here um, is you're seeing a manifestation of sin and unbelief. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the garden. One of the most you know, fundamental lessons we can take away from the garden and throughout scripture is the nature of leadership and, um, specifically, uh, the nature of authority and responsibility and how those things relate to one another. So, in the garden, you know, God created man and woman in his image, but he gave the man a particular responsibility to govern or to lead as the covenantal head right? Is the phrase that we would use. And we see this authority um, that Adam ultimately failed to exercise this authority to care for his wife and to be a steward of creation and to worship God rightly and obedience and faith. He failed, but we see that he still, that he was the head when God came to the garden, he didn't call out for the woman, he called out for the man. Mm -hmm. And this signifies to us that he bore unique responsibilities. So with the authority there's a corresponding responsibility. Now, what Adam did, and this is corroborated when we get to Romans 5, it says, you know, through one man, sin came into the world and, through, and and because of sin, death, right? And so it's interesting that Eve is not blamed in the same way that Adam is for the sin, even though she's the one who took the fruit of yep. the tree, but the he bore ultimate responsibility for that. Yeah,
0: it says that Eve was deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. He wasn't yeah. charged with being deceived, but mm-hmm. charged with
1: abdicating his responsibility. Yes. Yeah. And then on the inverse, um, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the the, the last Adam, um, who is the the new covenant head for the new creation. And he bore responsibility for our sins. So by one man's disobedience, sin and death enter the world, and by Mm -hmm. one man's obedience, righteousness, you know, and salvation and life. And so um, the principle that we need to take away is that God defines authority and it carries with it corresponding responsibilities, and there's consequences for not bearing those responsibilities. Well, what does Adam do when he's confronted? He actually seeks to avoid responsibility first, they hide. Mm -hmm. So this is the first tactic. It's like, try to get around it, try to avoid it. And then when you're confronted with it, if you can't get out from underneath it, you blame. So you try to take it off your shoulders and give it to someone else. And he actually says, the woman you gave me did this, Yeah, (laughs) which is a way of blaming blaming both of them, (laughs) God and the woman. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you you see how insidious it is because Adam was told that if you eat of it, you will die. So he knows that the consequence is death. And he let her eat it. Yeah, he let her eat it. And then when he's called up on the rug for that, he's like, essentially, take her, is what he did. Yeah. Well, what the reason I'm going to Genesis to talk about the administrative state is that I just described to you the ethos of the managerial class, the avoidance of responsibility um and the blaming of others, and the abdicating of responsibility. Yeah. And this is a built-in feature. So when you think of who makes it to the top, um, it's not based on your competence. It's not based on your merits. In a managerial world, it's based on your capacity to avoid responsibility and assume authority, which is a total inversion of the way it should be biblically. You should you should only have authority as much as it corresponds to your responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a funny thing about the competence thing. The Harvard um, president who just got axed uh, was a Harvard. The lady, uh, Claudine Gay, or yeah, whatever her name. Is. Yeah. yeah, but it comes out that she's a serial plagiarist. It's like no wonder. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, these people. These people. You can be the top of an Ivy League institution and be you know a bottom of the tier scholar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't have to have... You can be pretty low quality. Yeah. You just yeah. say the right things, use the right words and the right phrases. You're the right skin color. Well, it was like was You're James, the right gender. It was
0: like James Lindsay getting all those uh, articles published and past peer review that were just utter nonsense because mm-hmm. they all used these catchphrases and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you know how to use the language, you can work your way up.
1: Yeah. Right? and And we're seeing this kind of the corruption of the managerial class Um, In a lot of ways, one of them was in this hearing where they called three heads of universities, colleges in the United States, to come testify, I think before Congress in the United States, as to why they were allowing for um, what is illegal speech, calling for the genocide of people, Mm -hmm. uh, why they were allowing for this. And all three of them were asked, point blank, three women, you know, about this, and they just couldn't plainly say anything. So I want to read something that Ben wrote in okay. an article for Dominion Press, and it'll set the stage. Ben writes, University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill has recently resigned after a carefully lawyered answer to a straightforward question ended up offending everyone anyway. The question, put to her by Representative Elise Stefanik, was whether on-campus calls for the genocide of Jews violated the school's conduct policy. That's what you call a softball question. That's like, yeah,
0: I should be able to answer this in my sleep without breaking a sweat.
1: Like of all the things you're going to face in your day, this is the easiest part of your day. I'm sure Tony Costa would have something to answer to that question. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Her response, It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It seems that many people were taken off guard by McGill's response. Michael S. Roth, the President of Wesleyan University, stated that college presidents are supposed to be moral leaders, not evasive bureaucrats. It's like <laughs> I mean you're right, but where did you come from it's like yeah. this this is what we are this is where we're at. The assumption here being that it shouldn't be possible for someone in McGill's position to miss the ball that completely. What people don't seem to understand is that the college presidents only get to where they are by being evasive bureaucrats, as well as highly competent administrators. I would quibble with that. I don't think they're all competent administrators, but the administrative class, fast approaching a matriarchy, is educated, organized, and freakishly adept at avoiding direct confrontation. And here you see Ben hinting at what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. They are masters of avoiding um, a position where they would be required to give moral clarity. Because with moral clarity comes consequences. So if you can live in the gray zone, you can evo- avoid and evade responsibility. Okay. Um, they're also stone cold mercenaries, which explains how both MIT and Harvard presidents could sit like dehydrated moths while their sister in arms burnt into flames next to them. This is also why McGill snapped like a stale breadstick when confronted yeah. with an inescapable moral dilemma. It wasn't because she'd been uniquely over lawyered for this particular case. It was because university presidents live out their professional lives in a permanent state of lawyerisms. They have mastered the art of scrying to the wind and wave of popular opinion and adjusting themselves accordingly. Stripped of their bureaucratic padding, we see their moral anemia in stark relief, and start to realize the awful and start to realize the awful truth. So what I found super helpful about what Ben was saying was the lack of moral clarity, the total aversion to taking on the burden of responsibility of leadership, the moral responsibility, was not in this instance. Um, this was not a, um, a glitch. This was a feature. Mm. And this is, in our culture, in the mer- managerial class culture, the people who rise to the top are the people who are best at avoiding moral clarity. Mm. They're the people who are the best at taking on Moral responsibility,
0: but they do it in a way, and you hear this when our prime minister opens his mouth. Is there's an avoidance of these things, but there's also an assumed uh, righteousness mm-hmm. of themselves, like they're they're assuming the high ground and trying to sound righteous without actually saying anything.
1: Yeah, well, and also what comes with this is a new standard of righteousness, right? So obviously, in this world, we're meant the standard of righteousness is God. In his word, and what he reveals to us is righteous. But in an unbelieving world, it's just arbitrary, which is why, you know, um, it doesn't seem like there are any fixed rules. You know, the present, whatever woke-ism it is, as long as you learn the magic words, you know, you're a mm-hmm. righteous person. It, and then you see virtue signaling becoming the replacement for true virtue, right? It's like, you're not required to be a good person, you're required to look like a good person. And for the managerial class, this is the same thing. And these kind of people who the Bible would call hypocrites, um, they can't tell the difference. To them, it is the same thing. Like, when you throw, you know— uh, a Ukrainian flag in your bio, like, you are a good person. When you yeah. put up a BLM flag in your bio, like... You pronouns in the bio. Yeah. yeah, they feel as though they just went to church and they just confessed their sins. Like, yeah. for, them, for them, it is their religion. It is the expression, the demonstration of their righteousness. But then you see the total corruption of it when they're actually faced with a moral dilemma. It's like... Yeah. Are you gonna say that genocide calling for the genocide of people, an entire ethnic group is wrong or not? And they can't even give a straightforward answer to that. No, it's it's
0: it depends on the context.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like can you explain the context in which calls to genocide are okay? Oh man, that is that's wild. So I think what I think what you know, there's a couple there's probably a lot of applications we can talk about for Christians. Um, I heard uh, one of Doug Wilson's blog
0: and may blogs. It was a couple of years ago now, and I can't remember what it was about, but uh, he talked about the difference between culpability and responsibility. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard him talk about that before, Mm -hmm. but so he, he spent some time in the military and so in the military, and it should be like this in other branches of government too, the people who are under your authority, uh, if they do something wrong, it's, it's your responsibility.
1: Yeah. It doesn't mean you're guilty it, you're, for their yeah, sins. You're not
0: guilty for what they did, but you're responsible yes. for how they for how they live Yeah, um, in that sense as they're carrying out their duties. Mm-hmm. And um, do you remember, this would have been when we were really young, but uh, do you remember Paul Martin or mm-hmm. Prime Minister Paul Martin? Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't get to be prime minister for, for very long. Mm-hmm. He resigned because of something other people in his party had done. Mm-hmm. And because he was the leader, he took the fall. Mm-hmm. And w- you would never see that anymore. No, you know, and you wouldn't see a leader get up and say, "Well, I had nothing to do with it, but you know, I'm I'm technically responsible for what happens in the party." And yeah. and okay, I gotta I gotta resign now. Yeah, you know, like,
1: <laughs> well, and you, that's a great point because in Canadian politics right now, it's the total opposite. Right, it's that you can now do. You can commit any crime, almost any crime you want as someone in government, and you are not held accountable for it. Um, and you don't have to take responsibility, not only for other people beneath you, you don't have to take responsibility for yourself. But along with that, there's the there's the rise in authoritarianism in and author- in their authority. It's like they closed bank accounts because people gave $5 to a protest. It's like, how are you allowed to take on that authority? Yeah. Or they you they arrest, close churches,
0: uh, or you you uh, you you're, you arrest a reporter for assault yeah. for asking a question.
1: Yeah, like it's an unlawful arrest, yeah. and it was a lie, and it was caught on camera. And I mean, there's going to be no consequences. Yeah, and so you see in an unbelieving culture, two things happen: that people assume for themselves authority that they don't have, and they abdicate their responsibility. So, I mean, it feels for most Canadians, like politicians and I would just say people in the ruling class, it doesn't have to be politics. It could be in business and media, whatever it is. You can just get away with absolutely anything. But if I didn't pay a hundred bucks to the, you know, of my taxes and just refused, like I'd go to jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I still have to pay for the consequences of my sins and I'm bearing now the consequences of their sins. So yeah, we just we just live in an Ecclesiastes uh you know five eight world where you see um manager on top of manager on top of manager.
0: And the real needs aren't getting met. And that's that's the whole point. It's like yeah. when you have these multi-layered bureaucracies, mm-hmm. every layer is just looking out for itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and they do exactly the things they need to do so that they can CYA, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's managerial mm-hmm. speak. You just take mm-hmm. care of yourself, mm-hmm. cover yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure it can't come back to bite you. And I've seen this, with uh, the previous company I was at, uh, everything was done through email. Yeah. So that there was always a trail and you can say, oh, no, I asked you to do that. Well, you didn't follow up and actually make sure it got done, but you sent yeah. an email so you're off the hook. Yes. You know, like it doesn't take much to get off the hook but it doesn't mean the thing is actually getting done.
1: Yes. And, in, and in, it's also a toxic culture of leadership or, or an, a lack of leadership because there's a total risk aversion whereby, and you saw this during COVID, right? That people are making policies because they're afraid of the blowback. So one of the most successful plays that was run was to distort responsibility. Your respons- if you get sick, you're a bad person. You're responsible, And they did this right away. So even the long-term care homes, most of the policies in the long-term care homes had nothing to do with the well-being of the the residents. My dad was in there. It was so the bureaucrats didn't get in trouble. So if there was an outbreak, it wouldn't be in the newspaper and people would be reporting as if they had murdered a bunch of people. But they didn't actually care if... Everyone in there died from secondary causes. That or, life,
0: or died from loneliness,
1: or yeah, they died from care. anything. Yeah. No one cared. Yeah. They did like they wouldn't even they they wouldn't let my mom stand ten feet back from a window open three inches so my dad could hear her sing. Like they don't they don't care. And the staff, there were a lot of. I mean, there's people who are genuinely trying to do their job and help people, but the. There's no leadership, is what I'm saying. There's no moral leadership. And that is the crisis of our culture, that there's no one who's willing to take responsibility for their words. There's no one willing to to die on a hill. There's no one willing to bear the cost. It's just shirk and avoid and evade and pass. And everyone does this. Right.
0: And this, I mean, this is where Christianity has the antidote to this, right? Yeah, we serve a, a savior who took on the guilt and mm-hmm. the responsibility for our
1: iniquity. Yes, right? Yeah, and then a Christian, kind of a culture of um, an organization, even whether it be a family or a church or a business or government, you can you can confess your sins and be forgiven. So, like, we can make mistakes. Like in my home, I can fail in my home, and I confess, and I confess who I and need boy to confess does to. he and boy yeah boy. <laughs> let me tell you,
0: oh man, if you only knew yeah. the stories. Oh, I'm just kidding. I don't know any of the
1: stories. But you can yeah, <laughs> you can you can be forgiven and reconciled yeah. and grow, and that's how you grow. But have you noticed in our politics now, you're never allowed to say I was wrong or and not even like. Morally wrong. What if you made a call and then you learn later that through new data that maybe you should have done something different? You can't even say no, I did the wrong you thing. Gotta double down. And this is the world that that you end up creating as a world of, um, there's no atonement for sin. So it's either your head or else, yeah. you know? So then it's like no one ever says sorry for anything. Yeah. No one ever admits they're wrong about anything. No one needs to ever learn from anything. It's just a yeah. vicious... Dog eat dog. There's no honor. Well, I mean, what what else would we expect?
0: There's no forgiveness anywhere yeah. else apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, what's the world's answer? It's well, you're an oppressor and a racist, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you could do about it. Mm-hmm. You just need to whatever you need to do, you need to do. But it doesn't actually remove your guilt mm-hmm. because there is no there is no forgiveness apart from Christ. So mm-hmm. we can't expect them
1: to you know
0: work that into their worldview. Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Yeah, and I think I think Christians need to step into the leadership void, and that doesn't necessarily mean you know running for politics. Although that would be great, I think we need to see that. Um, but in any sphere of influence that the Lord has given you, what, you might even just be a manager. You might be a manager at Wendy's, like man, lead like a Christian. You know, take responsibility for what you're supposed to take responsibility for. Um, work hard. Work hard as to the Lord. When you make a mistake, own your mistake. You know, do things for the good of other people. Don't blame people when you make a mistake. Don't run from the consequences of your decisions and your actions. And you know what? You're going to be someone worthy of following. And people will, I mean, more than likely, people will actually respect you. Now, there could be consequences for that as well. But the problem we're in now is that everyone is afraid of the consequences of the HR department. Mm -hmm. And because we're all afraid of the consequences of the HR department, we go along with it and people need to say, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take your experimental drug to keep my job and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm not going to take reeducation training. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, we, you, you can't, you can't bully us and this isn't that you're not, displaying true leadership here this is not moral courage that you're displaying is there going to be a bumpy time like if all the christians were to actually do this to show moral courage and to you know demonstrate leadership would there be consequences yeah i mean we saw this in the church like this week trinity had their charges stayed they still have to pay forty thousand dollars basically and they've already paid a bunch of money on top of that um but that was a consequence of sticking your head above the turret. So when there was no leadership, the few people that actually chose it, when you have a land that there's no moral leadership, the few people who show it will become targets. You will. Mm-hmm. And you just have to hope that enough people follow. Right. And in their instance, I think their church is seeing the fruit of that. Um for sure. But let's 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 like not get it twisted. When a prophet stands up, sometimes there's revival and sometimes there's revolt. And you just have to resolve that you don't, and this is another difference, you don't live for the approval of people. You don't do things to navigate politically. You you do things because it's the right thing to do. And you hope that that bears good fruit, but you sleep well, even if it doesn't. So, you know, as we... Push back against the administrative state as Christians try to show moral courage, as we try to have Christians in positions of leadership to show what true leadership looks like. Is it going to be smooth sailing? No, probably not. Uh, Is there going to be backbiting and consequences? For sure. Um, I think one thing we need to get good at, at pushing back, too, is forcing these hypocrites to deal with the consequences, and that's what happened to this lady and these presidents at this mm-hmm. Congress. They were it was, it was put to them. You've evaded your way to the top. You've you've obscured reality all the way to the top. Can you call for the genocide of Jews? It's a simple question, and there's only one answer to this question. It's either it, it, it's no, you can't do that. So when they try to play their games and waffle, it's ex- they're exposed. And I think Christians need to get need to start finding the moral line and holding people to that, yeah. right? And uh, watch them squirm. <laughs> so I never. I it, it does read like a Babylon Bee article, though. Yeah, it's like Ivy League president can't tell you whether calls for genocide of entire ethnic groups is okay or not. Yeah. I mean, I guess
0: part of it too with the with the school thing is that the whole education system has. It's not even about education, right? No. It's 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 almost like the part of the entertainment business mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not the, the heads of these. It's not like Jonathan Edwards is leading Princeton anymore, and mm-hmm. he's and he's there to try and teach people really important stuff to mm-hmm. help them. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, it's uh, no. You gotta you gotta go to college for four years after you're done high school and sow your wild oats and mm-hmm. have fun in the wave pool and the mm-hmm. the hot tub or whatever it is they have there provided for you and um, and so why yeah why would why would a moral clarity matter to the yeah. person that runs that
1: organization? Well, the system rewards bad people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like our system of governance is. Evidence that it's built on unbelief because it actually rewards bad people. My mm-hmm. brother says these these kinds of people fail their way to the top. It's totally true. I mean, you'll get kicked. You'll run a college into the ground, and they'll end up at another college down the road, right? They'll they'll you know do a terrible job as some minister, and they'll end up doing something else down the road. It's like how how do you do this? There's no consequences for these yeah. people, so. Yeah, I just think we're just in a bad, it's just further evidence that we're in a bad place as a country. Yeah. When we have 450,000 federal bureaucrats whose MO is to avoid taking responsibility and to take on authority that they don't have, you're in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's going to change this, because we're governed by these people because we're bad people, because our culture rewards this. We need to stop rewarding bad people for bad behavior. Yeah, we need to start rewarding good people for good behavior. You know, if, but if that, you're yeah. a leader,
0: that just takes self governance. Yeah, and a moral people. Yeah, people with some moral spine. Yeah, we just, so, don't, we just don't have no, that. No, we don't.
1: We need. We need. A, we need a revival. Yeah, and if we get a revival, one of the first things that's going to happen is we're going to do away with this high official and that high official and most high officials, mm-hmm. in the words of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. And we pray for that day.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Have you, have you seen that? There's a famous picture of, uh, I think it's, uh, it must have been somewhere in the States down south maybe, but there's these three old farmers like pinning this cop down. No. And um, uh, I guess the story behind the picture was the cop was coming to uh, to either seize property from this widow mm-hmm. who had lost her husband or something and she was having trouble making the payments on her house. And so <clears throat> the cop was going to either evict her or something and the guys just stopped him and said, no, you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Go home. You know, and it's like, this is what we need is people who are willing to stand up to the government mm-hmm. and realize that, okay, you know, maybe now they have the the opportunity or the the power to do horrible things to us. But if there were a revival and people were taking these responsibilities, that wouldn't be the case.
1: And I think the way people need to realize the way that you stand up is in the little things. Like that's what the pandemic showed is that really this would have ended if everyone just said, I'm not wearing the stupid mask. Right. Or we're just going to church. Like we're happy for you to deal with this in the hospitals and you know, do what you do in public health but we're still going to go to church you need to present evidence and you're not doing that so lose my number yeah and if people just just actually obeyed god rather than man there would there would be nothing but what happens is people people say you know what masks actually don't stop aerosols and only crazy ignorant people believe that and I actually don't think this works, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's just a little that's, thing. That's that it's is why we have tyrants. If if there was a big thing,
0: I would stand up against it. Yeah, but
1: that's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. <laughs> if you if you don't do the little thing, faithful with little, faithful with much. And so, you know, is that something we teach the kids at KCCS? Oh yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're uh we're raising up a generation of Tyrant opposers, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) We want them to have the
1: antidote to tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. But this is in your workplace, too. I mean, the tyrants in most workplaces are in the HR department. Oh, absolutely. They're bullies. And they um, are totally happy to have a level of power and control over your life that is totally unbiblical and to have zero consequences. Yeah, And I think one of the things, you know, my brother's taught me a lot about this in his past few years where he works it's you just have to make them you have to point out their own standards to them it's like well why are you doing this are you allowed to do this and point out the inconsistencies and it takes work right yeah but you know don't too many people say ah I just don't want trouble you know I just and that's that's what they count on they count on you just not wanting the trouble of resisting tyranny, does. it's not going to look like tanks and guns until the very, very end. It's going to look like little things that you don't want to do, but you do anyways. Little things that you... Then it goes, little things you know you shouldn't do, but you do anyways. And then the ask gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by that point, the holdouts are very, very small. And that's what we saw. There's a tiny little group, and whoever sticks their head above the turret at that point... We just pick them off, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it starts in the little places, um, mm-hmm. showing moral moral courage and living and speaking with moral clarity, and uh, the big things will follow.
0: Yeah, and we have to know. I mean, we have to know what's moral. Yeah, to do that, we have to know Scripture. We have to know God's law and know what He commands of us. Yes. Otherwise, um, otherwise we're just another opinion.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah stay home, love your neighbor kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you ever see on the old SNL when, uh, Phil Hartman and Dana Carvey were doing, uh, <laughs> what was it? Johnny Carson and man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, that's funny, funny stuff, but I'm gonna leave you with this. And, uh, you know, we pray for this day, but, uh, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast.